Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 2, one blue sky credit-filled minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez, 19. And I'm Scott Corelli. (laughs) Well, today we're going back to Minute 4, which uh, (laughs) starts with the beautiful and metallic and, like, lens flary title screen and uh, ends with uh, the OG dog himself, Mr. Dean Cundy. (laughs) <laughs> Give it up for Dean Cundy. So, so this, uh, so today is uh, clouds. Today is clouds. clouds. What, what, what would you say these clouds are? Cumulus? Yeah, Cumulus? they're just they're super ambliny clouds. Yeah, they're very, they're very, <laughs> they're very ambliny. But I will say, um, uh, a storm's coming. Yeah, it does look like rain. Yeah, a storm is a is a brewing. Storms are coming. I just, it's just kind of a, well, it's just weird to have opening credits. The last one had opening credits. Yeah, but it, but it was, I, I liked how subtle the ones were in the first one. I mean, I, what, what, they you weren't know, subtle. They were, they were over the clocks. That's, remember? We, oh, that's it's right. just that's that we had other things to talk about during the credits other <laughs> than just the credits. Yeah. I do really, I mean, I mean, I kind of, I like it when sequels sort of do a victory lap at the very beginning. You know, or it's like, we did it, it's a sequel, you know, kind of like Scream 2, sort of like that. Oh, yeah. And and this kind well, of feels. I mean, like... I mean, I mean, all of the all of the, the Scream openings are just like so fist pumpy. They're great. Totally. Yeah. But like yeah. And, 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 and this is fist pumpy, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of. Oh, God. I just... And then you and then you and then you just slowly like lose all of your momentum as you're staring at clouds for a minute oh, and a okay. half. <laughs> Oh man, it's oh, ridiculous. You know, it'd be really cool if uh, they did like a Watchmen style opening where it's just like everything that happened from now to 2015. Mm, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Or like, uh, you remember the, the the like the title sequence and timer? Oh, totally. Yeah, that'd be great too. Yeah. Ah, uh, that'd been so good. Like, Guys, have you never seen the movie Timer? It's on Netflix. It's a great movie. Oh, it's so, it's such a gem. Emma Caulfield should be in a million movies a year. Oh, it's so good. You guys go check it out if you like. If you like romantic comedies at all, like at all, or are interested in, oh, it's so. Good. If you like anyway, science anyway. fiction comedies, like Back to the Future. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a science fiction romance. Like it's it's a it's a lo-fi science fiction movie like back to the future is but it's it's kind of an adventure movie it's a romantic comedy it's awesome really good description really good um <laughs> so uh this is uh i mean i've got stuff to talk about um as do i, I. yeah and you have lots of stuff to talk about but your stuff happens first in the credits so why don't you take it away yeah um so first up first credited uh in the acting category is mr michael james Michael Andrew Fox. In case what? you didn't know, his, his, his birth name is Michael Andrew Fox. Oh, where does the J come from then? Um, up his ass. I don't know. I, I think he like. I think he just like randomly put it in. Oh, weird. He talked about it, and I read his. I read his his memoir like years ago. His first one, Lucky Man. And he like eh, he just decided to do it. He had a he had a reason. Oh, here it is. Um, he didn't like the sound of. So he did not like the sound of Michael A. Fox during a time when Fox was coming to mean attractive, and because his middle initial sounded too much like oh, Canadian. No. A- <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Michael A. Fox. My- 
Yeah, and he's Canadian, so Michael A. Fox. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. And he didn't like the sound of Andrew or Andy, so he decided to adopt a middle initial and settled on J as homage to the actor Michael J. Pollard. Ooh. Um, who, you know, was play he was in the film Bonnie and Clyde and I don't know. I don't want to look up Michael J. Pollard. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, in the so Back to the Future was his third movie, and it was his first real movie because I've never heard of these other two movies, Midnight in Madison, Class of 1984. So, Back to the Future hit in a big bad way, and uh, that came out in June, I believe, of 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a scant two months later, uh, Teen Wolf would come out, and uh, that was a like 30 million, 40 million dollar film and it made like a hundred million. Oh no, no, it cost okay, it cost 1.2 million and it made 80 million dollars. Uh, and this was largely credited to uh, Michael J. Fox's popularity at the time. It was kind of like how you know you had knocked up in June and then like you know two months later you had super bad. Right. And I was like, oh Seth Rogan's in another thing? Sweet. Or the opposite of that, because then uh, you know, uh Zach and Nora Zach and Nora. Um, Nick and Nora. Nick, no, no, no. What's like Zach and Miri make a porno? Oh, Zach and Miri. Okay. Because right. that came out like right after and it was like, no, we're kind of, no, we don't need, we don't need three. Um, and then it broke Kevin Smith River. And um, after Teen Wolf, he would follow that with um, some movies with varying degrees of success. Um, he, uh, the 1987 movie Light of Day which wasn't, um, I haven't seen, uh, the secret of my success, which is kind of a sleeper hit and I have seen. That's really fun. It's sort of like a eighties riff on, um, how to succeed in business without really trying. Oh, okay. Okay. It's kind of like a corporate eighties comedy where he's like a whiz kid. That's like a, it a makes jerk. sense that you get, you get, uh, you get Alex P Keaton to play that character. Yeah, totally. And, um, <laughs> then he was in the, um, eighties kind of like, Less than zero-ish dramedy, uh, Bright Lights, Big City, um, which I saw, but I don't really remember. And then he was in a war movie, a war drama called Casualties of War. So, really? Yes. That came out in 1989 with, uh, oh my gosh, look at this poster. So the poster is a close-up of Michael J. Fox with a Vietnam helmet, like a war helmet, and Sean Penn and a Vietnam helmet screaming bloody murder at us the this looker of this poster and on top of it is on the on top Fox of the pen yes you know, you're looking at it okay cool yeah no i i i like it because it it seems like it they're they're saying the movie's about a fox pen really yeah there's pen. fox pen sean like, yeah, like a pen full of foxes yeah the fox pen when I but you know what's funny what's funny about about this poster is like this poster is ridiculous right it's like it's, <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's all black. It's all black, and it's just like these floating heads, like like a screen poster. Yeah, and it's directed and, by Brian De Palma. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah. Um, but then uh, next to it, because I just did a Google search, next to it is like a uh, 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 an image of like the DVD uh, cover, okay. and the DVD cover is uh, kind of the opposite because it's it's Sean Penn looking very serious in his helmet, in his Vietnam helmet. And Michael J. Fox is looking at looking over at him with his mouth open, just like I like a combination of 
shock and disgust that Sean Penn <laughs> is in this movie. <laughs> this I thought I was getting Spicoli. Oh. I don't do that anymore, and I'll never do it again. You're not Spicoli. I'll never be nice on a movie again except for milk. <laughs> yeah. I wonder I wonder if uh casualties of wonder if I wonder if the reason that Michael J. Fox looks uh so much kind of beefier in Back to the Future Part 2 is just natural aging or if it's because of casualties of war. Oh, you think he like muscled up to play Private Erickson? Yeah, a little bit. That maybe? could totally be it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, so what you know, so what I look when I look at this filmography in between Back to the Futures and you know kind of disregarding Teen Wolf because that was sort of like the uh the aftershock. Oh my god, the- John C. Riley's in Casualties of War. I'm sorry. Damn, that's a good. I got really. I I saw that, and it's just like babyface John C. Riley. Oh, babyface John C. Riley's a jam. I was watching Hoffa the other day with Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and just out of nowhere, John C. Riley walks in, and I'm like, "What? When did you start? When? Oh, hey guys, yeah. it's me, John C. Riley. Uh, he's so- he's always he's always looked like John C. Riley has always okay. So you know, in the Muppets, you know yeah. how you have like Fozzie Bear, and then you have the other bear. John C. Riley has always looked like the other bear. That's amazing. Yeah. Just the, <laughs> the brown other, one? The random bear. Yeah, other the other bear. random bear. He looks like the other bear. Uh, I want the Muppet Show to do an episode about that guy. Uh, I, I, yeah, because he would show up in the Muppet Show all the time. Right? Yeah. Yeah, they just need to do another bear. What's, what's his name? I don't know. Mortimer. Muppets. I'm Googling Muppets other bear. Muppets uh, other bear. Uh, so, the, you know. Yeah, it came up immediately. Nice. He looks exactly like he look, Bobo. <laughs> okay. Bobo the bear. He looks like Bobo the bear. Nice. I'm anyway. sure you'd love that. You know, John C. Uh, Riley as Bobo, Bobo the bear. bear. Hey, yeah. as Bobo. <laughs> Hello, famous. Hello, famous. Anyway, so continue. <laughs> so when I look at this filmography, on, again, disregarding Teen Wolf because, like, I guess that's kind of like in the same realm of Back to the Future, you know, where he became like a teen heartthrob, quote unquote. Well, and and I think I feel like he filmed. I think he filmed Teen Wolf before Back to the Future. Actually, I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, yeah, so and yeah, it came so, out after. So he was, you know, to quote an earlier episode from last season, he was, you know, quote a dreamboat at this point. And you know, when I yeah, when I look when I look at these films. I'm I'm kind of impressed that he didn't follow the traditional like brat pat brat pack route, you know. Well, I mean, I don't think he had time because I mean he was still doing double duty on Family Ties. Yeah, I guess I just through, really appreciate through the, the production are- of through the production of Part Two. Like oh yeah, through, totally. yeah. Like it, it wasn't until Back to the Future Part Three that he was finally free of Family Ties. Like the the he he recorded yeah. the series finale. Uh, I think between Part Two and Part Three, in like that two or three week period where they were off in between movies. Yeah. I guess I I appreciate that these are the movies that he did then. Like in between those, like he didn't do like an easy like he's a guy, she's a girl, John Hughes. Like yeah, he, he did a he did a like a a dark. Although that being drama. said, the fact that he never did a John Hughes movie is a travesty. Well, he was supposed to. That's right. You're supposed to play Ducky. That's right. We talked about this on the show. Yeah. So yeah, so so some some really interesting, if flawed, 
movies, but you know, you got to give the actor credit for not immediately like, you know, selling out or just, you know, cashing in on the Michael J. Fox persona. Like this was a guy that was interested in doing other stuff, even if the results were sometimes less than like the sum of their efforts. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Dame Christopher Lloyd, uh, has, was already a veteran of, of many movies, uh, before back to the future uh most you know kind of uh, mr mom uh star trek three buckaroo bonsai um which is weird because in my brain search for spock happened after back to the future but like it didn't because yeah <laughs> history it was like eight, it was like 83 right yeah i guess because when i saw star trek three i was like oh it's dot brown yeah sure of course yeah uh and uh after back to the future he also was in um, kind of mostly independent movies, movies that don't really leave a uh, leave a trail, if you know what I mean, with the exception of uh, also coming out in 1985 later on in the year, Clue, uh, the cult classic where he played Professor Plum. And mm. um, it, it wasn't until nearly, uh, you know, three I, I, years. Well, okay, I want to I pause you for a second because mm. I know what you're about to say and I have a story involved in his casting in that particular movie. So just brush past it and we'll. <laughs> okay. I have a very, I have a very like really fun story about oh, sweet. his casting in that movie. So, so yeah. yeah. Anyway. And uh, then, you know, of course uh, we haven't gotten to him yet. And which brings us to Leah Thompson, which is the tab that I opened earlier. I realized I hadn't opened one for Leah Thompson yet. So Leah Thompson, uh, America's eternal sweetheart was, <laughs> In, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but before Back to the Future, she was in um, Nick Kimena's 3D, uh, Red Dawn. <laughs> um, Nick, oh. yeah, Jaws 3D. Jaws, I get it. Gotcha. Running, running gag. Um, running gag. But she, you know, was in a couple of really cool movies, you know, depending on your definition of cool. Uh, she appeared in the um, infamous 1986 movie Howard the Duck, where she had sexual relations with a duck. Oh, I guess that would have been in between. Oh, man. Wow. 1986. How, the year after. What a, what a talk about raining on your parade. The year after Back to the Future, Howard the Duck. Wow. And a movie called Space Camp, which you know, I never. And heard. you know what's funny is uh, Space Camp's a great movie. Oh, Kate um, Capshaw. Yeah, Space, Space Camp's a great movie. Okay, cool. Uh, it's it's a ridiculous movie, but it's it's so fun. Hey, um, Lee Phoenix is in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaking this for another movie, I believe Space Camp is the movie where the kids are at Space Camp and think that they're in a. They think that they're getting into a. Uh, like a like a like a simulation shuttle and end up in a real shuttle and then end up in space. Oh, dope! <laughs> yeah, that's us. Maybe to remake. Um, yeah. So so, but yeah, that's a really fun movie. But yeah, I I like that. You know, she does Back to the Future, and she gets all of these like, you know, she she meets all these cool people. You know, she's like, oh, Zemeckis and Spielberg. Spielberg and Spielberg is like, hey, let me introduce you to my best friend George Lucas. Hello. And George Lucas is like, I made Star Wars. And then he's like, you know, I, uh, I've got another uh, movie that I'm I'm making. It's another, you know, there parts of it take place in the stars, and you would play <laughs> this girl. And 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 I imagine just Leah Thompson being like, yes, yes, whatever you say, George. Like, oh my god, I'm going to be the next Princess Leia. This is going to be amazing. Ah. And then 
signed on blind probably and <laughs> found out she was doing Howard the Duck. Sure. It's a very similar situation to how Ben Affleck ended uh, ended up playing Batman for the next 25 years. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think it's in any way similar, but okay. <laughs> and uh, so she was in Howard the Duck. Uh, America. Oh. America never really recovered, but uh, she made up for it uh, the very next year in 1987 when she starred in the John Hughes produced and written production, Some Kind of Wonderful, directed by Howard Dilch, yep. starring the former Marty McFly himself, Mr. Eric Stoltz. There he is. You can't get you can't escape him. Um, I'm a very I'm a very very big fan of the song Some Kind of Wonderful but I have to admit I have never seen Some Kind of Wonderful it's also on my list of shame I feel like I have seen it but I saw it you know like 15 years ago or something sure. like that um, but it seems like something that I, I would have seen although now anytime I hear someone say Some Kind of Wonderful well, well now and, and ever since I've seen it uh, there, there is an episode of the X Files called Home that uses some kind of wonderful the song. Oh, uh, is it really a, scary? It's super, super scary. Nice. Yeah, Home is is largely considered the scare, like the most terrifying episode of the X Files ever. Dope. Um, yeah, and it's uh, uh, some kind of wonderful. Oh, oh God, yeah, it's so it's creepy. Some kind of wonderful. Oh, that one. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. All right, that's what that's I thought. Different. Oh, okay. Is that what it is? Okay. I, I think. think of I think of another. I think of another. Like there's another like fifty song, um, and I always uh, thought that was called some kind of wonderful, but I guess not. Okay. Did I just All save right. you? Can you watch? Can you watch some kind of wonderful now? Yeah, I think maybe I can. Nice. And I then I can. I think I can put home aside now. All right. Finally, you can't go home again. <laughs> And, uh, the year before uh, Back to the Future Part Two, she was in a movie called The Wizard of Loneliness, uh, directed by John Nichols, or based on the book by John Nichols, I should say, which also starred um, the pin himself, the legendary Mr. Lucas Haas. Oh, interesting. Wow. I thought Lucas Haas was like a newer actor. That's interesting. He's one of those like he was a child, you know, very much like like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He was like, used a lot as a child. Mm-hmm. And then kind of has a had a resurrection as like an adult character actor, kind of like what Haley Joel Osment's doing right now. Okay, interesting. Because he was in like Lincoln and Brick, and I always yeah. think he's in the Dark Knight, but that's the other guy who was in Ant Man. Right, I, right. The first time I saw the Dark Knight, I'm like, is that Lucas Haas? And my dad was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, so, um, sorry, damn it, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Nineteen minutes, and uh, which brings us to Back to the Future Part Two, where she uh, revi- quote revised her role as uh, Lorraine McFly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about uh, what about Thomas Wilson? Anything for him? Unfortunately, Thomas F. Wilson was not in nearly enough things after Back to the Future, which was can you believe it? His like first major film. Um. He was uh, credited as member of Spike's gang in the 1985 film L.A. Street Fighters, uh, which does not have a Wikipedia <laughs> link. <laughs> I like that he graduated from a member of Spike's gang to like Biff Tannen, like leader of all gangs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was in uh, April Fool's Day, which I've never seen. Let's Get Harry, which I've never seen. And uh, the 1988 Carl Weathers masterpiece, Action Jackson. 
Wow. Yes. Action Jackson. Where he appear, appeared along with Vanity, Craig T. Nelson, and Sharon Stone. He's uh, credited as Officer Cornblow. <laughs> so he's a so he's a he was a cop in that one. Yeah, hopefully hopefully a good cop, hopefully not a dirty cop that Action Jackson had to put the stomp on. And then in 1989, he appeared in Back to the Future Part Two, and uh, Chris McGlover uh, died. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the whole thing with Crispin Glover. I mean, Crispin Glover, he asked for twice as much uh, as anyone else to come back. He Terrence and, Howard. Yeah, yeah, he asked for twice as much, and they balked and wrote him out of the movie. Um, and uh, they wrote him out of the movie uh, in the nineteen sixty seven draft. They wrote him out of the movie by having uh, George. Uh, on sabbatical in San Francisco. Yeah, and uh, kind of never lived it down, unfortunately. Lived what down? I mean, the, the movie. I, I feel like I feel like the movie never really. I feel like not bringing back such a beloved part of the first film kind of really put the sequel in kind of like an ill will, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's a big part of what hurts the sequels. I mean, you know. The thing about it is like they eventually recast him with this other guy, which we'll get to when he makes his first appearance later in the movie. Sure. Um, and he wasn't a lookalike. He was a sound alike. And then they put uh, uh, prosthetics on him to make him look like Crispin Glover when he's upside down or from a distance. <laughs> sure. um, and and so uh, they got that guy when they when they did that and they did the camera tests, Zemeckis turned to Cundy and was like, hey. What do you think? And Cundy said, "Well, I think we got I think we got Crispin without any of the trouble." <laughs> no. So <laughs> So can't uh, imagine what they meant by trouble. Yeah. Um apparently he was uh, he was a nightmare on set. <laughs> um but uh yeah, so he asked for twice as much and they balked at that and they wrote him out of the movie. And then there was a chance that he could come back. So then he was written back into the movie. Uh, and then, you know, he had a set visit and they, they showed him all of like the 2015 sets and stuff. And he was really into it. And then he uh, he went back home, fired his agent, got a new agent. And the new agent asked for twice as much as he asked for the previous time. <laughs> so now four times above his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so it was all for nothing, and and they were just like, we're not gonna pay that. And they're like, oh, we'll see, we'll see what you'll pay. And then the answer was, they're not gonna pay anything of it. And then they just recast him, and he's barely in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is almost so, weirder. It's almost it'd almost be better just not to have him. Yeah, it is super weird. It is super weird. It's just uh, so, re- recasting is just always, and then of course uh, I don't know if we want to skip over Mr. James Tolkien. Um, who is that again? James Tolkien, uh, Principal Strickland, Scott. Oh, Strickland, yes. So after uh, Back to the Future, he mostly did uh, TV work. Uh, he played the character of Norman Keyes in four, count them, four episodes of Remington Steel between 1985 and 1987, and uh, most, most, most. Uh, pointedly, in my opinion, he uh, also appeared in 1986 as uh, Commander St- Tom Stinger Jardian in Top Gun. 
Okay. And uh, Detective Lubick in uh, the immortal 1987 masterpiece, Masters of the Universe, where he plays <laughs> a small town uh, detective that ends up uh, a king, I think, in a, in a medieval castle in Eternia. Wow. Uh, yeah, he's like, he starts off as like a beat cop. He's like, hey, what's going on over here? And then he like teams up with like the secondary protagonist, like the boyfriend. And then he goes to Eternia and like they beat, you know, Mr. Skull. And uh, what's his name? Skull? Uh, uh, Skullface? Uh, God, I don't, I don't, I never liked He Man. So I, you're Skeletor. His name is Skeletor. Yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, you know, they defeat Skeletor. And they're like, well, time for us to go home. And then it cuts and uh, and James Tolkien, the detective, is like sitting on a throne and he has like a beautiful woman, like a like a slave Leia on his like arm. And he's like, hey, uh, what, what, what do I want to leave for? I got a girl. I got a castle. I got a maid. And I'm like, who who is that girl? And this is not your castle, but OK. <laughs> and he just doesn't go back. It's really great. Wow. And then he did a lot more TV. You know, he was he was a he was a player, man. He was in an episode of Miami Vice. He was in an episode of The Equalizer, all before returning in 1989 to the role of Principal Strickland. All right, very cool. Um, I want to so I want to talk about the uh, the two drafts mm-hmm. of, of the screenplay. I want to talk about how we got to Back to the Future Part Two because. Um, what we had here is that Back to the Future was a huge hit and Universal Studios and specifically Sid Sheinberg, who was the studio head at the time, was like, OK, we're doing a we're doing a Back to the Future sequel. And Zemeckis. Uh, so, so Bobby Z and Bobby G were like, <laughs> that's funny. No, we're not like we, we're not doing a Back to the Future sequel. And he's like. He's like, no, 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 we are. He's like, no, 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 we're not. There, we don't have a plot for a Back to the Future sequel. We don't like sequels. Sequels never are never as good as the original. Like, we're not making a sequel. And this was at a time where sequels were made, but they, but mostly sequels were like cheesy versions of the original. Like, they were punchlines. They were cheesier, cheaper versions of yeah. uh, of a big one. You know, like the the Jaws movies are a perfect example. Beetlejuice you know? goes Hawaiian. Right, right, right. So, so sequels were not a respected industry uh, in in you know in the eighties in nineteen eighty five eighty six. So when so basically Sid Sheinberg sat them down and said, "Look, here's the reality of the situation. We own Back to the Future." We are making a sequel to Back to the Future, whether you're on it or not. So Bobby Z and Bobby G were like, all right, well, uh, let us think about it for a while. And he's like, good, great, because I'd love to have you back. But like I said, we're going to make it no matter what. So they go and they talk about it and they talk about what a sequel could be. And they come up with some ideas. But Bobby Z... Uh, had signed on with Disney to make Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And so he said, okay, well, I'm going to go make this movie uh, because the technology works and, you know, we're, we're inventing this new process and we're going to go. I haven't made a perfect movie in a couple years. Right. So I'm going to go make Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And Sid Sheinberg was furious, like furious that, Zemeckis was not making Back to the Future 2 and furious that 
he was making a movie for the competition. He was <laughs> he was crossing the street and making a movie for Disney. Furious. Didn't matter. Like like there was nothing universal in that movie because it was just like it was like Disney and then a little like a splash of Warner Brothers. So like there was nothing <laughs> in Oofy Roger Rabbit that was universal. So he was he was livid, right? And he was so mad that uh, they were afraid, like Bobby Z and Bobby G were afraid that he would make the movie without Robert Zemeckis, that he would go and greenlight the movie without him and hire a new director. Rennie Harlan. Right. So they conspired. And Bobby (laughs) Z came up with the idea of casting Christopher Lloyd as the judge in Who Framed Roger Rabbit to keep him off the market for a Back to the Future sequel until he was ready to make it. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you're not, look, you can make this movie without Bobby Z. You, you can't, can't make, make, his make movie. it without Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's like Game of Thrones level, like, like, <laughs> like, like, like jujitsu. I mean, that's like just Zemeckis just being like, listen, guy who owns the studio, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> Man. <laughs> oh, amazing. That's, it was am- am- that's amazing. Right? I want to know, was there any other actors that were there any other actors that were uh, at least considered for the role of Judge Doom? I did not remotely look that up. That'd be so. interesting. Because it's such we're an immortal who frame Roger Rabbit minute. So I, I know it's just it's just such an immortal character. I'd be interested to see like who else, you know. Yeah, for sure. You know who could have um, made a really interesting Judge Doom? Crispin Glover. Oh God. Yeah. He probably would have played Judge Doom a little bit like um, uh, what's Willard. the guy from Reanimator? Oh from, yeah, that guy. What's the guy's name? I don't know, but that guy. I don't know, but but he played the he played the role in uh, that role in uh, the the detective from out of town, either mm-hmm. the FBI agent or whatever in the Frighteners with yes. Michael J. Fox. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, he would probably. I imagine Crispin Glover would have played Judge Doom a little bit like that guy. Oh, can you imagine Crispin Glover doing the like Toontown the monologue or the dip? Yeah. Oh my god. Or just Crispin Glover <laughs> turning into a cartoon. <laughs> Terrifying. Oh man. Okay. So anyway. Uh. So 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 Zemeckis went and and started working on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. With Christopher Lloyd. At this point, the entire cast had signed on to do the sequel because uh, they were like, they were like, uh, I don't know. And they're like, well, Zemeckis and, and Bobby Z and Bobby G are coming back. So they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, totally. So they all signed on. Like, wait, 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 wait. Is Cundy coming back? And they're like, shit. Yeah, Cundy's coming back. Like, yeah, of okay, course. We'll of course. Well, he's he's off making Who Framed Roger Rabbit with, uh, with Zemeckis. Just getting the whole gang back together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so then – he leaves the writing duties of Back to the Future at this point, Back to the Future 2 with uh, with uh, Bob Gale. So so Bobby G is writing this this story and he doesn't want to do uh, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to repeat. They, they came up with the idea of three different timelines, right? Mm-hmm. So they came up with what they called the Biff horrific timeline. <laughs> 
Um, so so they have 2015 because they have to pay that off. Then they yeah, came yeah. up with the idea of the Biff Horrific alternate 1985. And then they were like, well, let's not – let's do a different era. So let's do you know 1967 because then we'll get like – Flower Child, uh, Flower Child Lorraine, and 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 all kinds of fun stuff, right? In the sixties, we play it in a different era. To visit an alternate universe. Yeah, I know, right? So, so they they decide to do this nineteen sixty seven thing. Now, here's the thing about the nineteen sixty seven draft, because this is what happens. So, okay. in the nineteen sixty seven draft, and we'll get into all of the details as we get into where it would be as we cross the movie into that point. But the, the broad strokes of the 1967 draft is everything happens exactly like it happens before, except that they when Biff from 2015 goes back to visit his past self, he visits himself in 1967 because he wants to visit himself after he has turned 21 so that he can bet on horse racing and stuff. <laughs> sure. Um, rather than we can take himself out drinking. Right. Rather than it is now where he t- gives it to himself and he can't do anything with it until his 21st birthday. Um, mm. Yeah. So so he goes back to 1967. Uh, it gives him the almanac. And that's the date that they figure out that they have to go back to. So they go back to that date. But what happens is Marty uh, gets arrested. And. Doc is out of commission. Uh, 1967 Doc is out of commission doing something else. And that's the other thing is we were going to meet 1967 Doc who like drops acid and stuff. It's Oh my God. Yeah. It would have been nuts. So, so, uh, so uh, 1967 Doc, I forget the reason why, but he's out of commission. Marty gets uh, arrested and then his bail is paid and he go walks out and he sees Lorraine. And Lorraine <gasps> paid bail for Calvin Klein. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So it's the reunion of Lorraine and Calvin Klein, right? Oh, my God. And at this point, Lorraine and George are married, but they haven't gone on. I think they're about to go on their second honeymoon, right? Okay. And what happened was she was going to meet George because George is on is on sabbatical and George is in, uh, in uh, San Francisco writing a book. Right. Creating Scientology. Uh, assume, uh, yeah, pre- presumably. Um, and she was going to meet him in San Francisco and then they were going to fly out to their second honeymoon mm-hmm. together. And she used her money that she was going to pay for that to bail out Calvin Klein. Oh. So now she doesn't have the money to go see George. And what was going to happen was that on that trip was when Marty was going to be conceived. So once again, Marty is on a time crunch <laughs> to stop to to like make sure that he gets uh, uh, conceived because Was this a road trip movie with Lorraine and Calvin. No, no. God, no. Um, no, 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 no. Instead, it was they Doc and Marty have to raise money to pay <laughs> Lorraine back. So she can. They don't get- use the time machine at all to solve this problem. No. So they, go- <laughs> they just forget they have a frigging time know. machine. So they go to. So they go to. Uh, they they get their money. She goes to San Francisco. 
Um, but the how did, they, uh, how, did, how did they raise the money? They have like a talent show. Do they invite like Mickey Rooney we'll, and Judy Garland? I can't remember, but we'll get to it as we go along in the in the thing. Oh, um, okay, I don't cool, want to. Cool. I don't want to spoil all the details. Okay, um, great, great, great idea. Yeah. So, so like as we go along, we'll we'll get all the smaller details. Sure, but, sure, sure. Um, but yeah. So then, what happens is apparently, oh, apparently the DeLorean isn't working. That's right. Oh, so, okay. Okay. So, so something happened to screw up the DeLorean. So the DeLorean isn't working. Mm-hmm. So just like in the first movie, they have to uh, uh, jumpstart the flux capacitor. Um, however, because they don't know where, when or where a lightning strike is going to hit. Oh, because they don't know time. about it this time. Right. They have to solve solve it a different way. And their solution is – they just drive the DeLorean into a bunch of power lines. <laughs> Cause it can still fly. It just can't travel in time. Dive, dive, dive. So he just flies it into some power lines. <laughs> and they go back in time. That's the most unscientific oh. solution I've ever heard. Why didn't they make yeah. this movie? What happened? <laughs> so so anyway, so <laughs> that's is- that's so then, so then, Back to the Future Two. That's <gasps> how it ends. Scott, I have an idea. What? Okay, so in the in, in the and this is the sixty-seven draft, right? Not the paradox draft. Right, we're not to the paradox draft yet. Okay, so the sixty-seven draft. Okay, so <laughs> Doc, what are we gonna do, Doc? I can't do my Lorraine and George got a bone, or else I won't get born, Doc. Doc. <laughs> <laughs> is like, and then Doc's like, "Hey, I have an idea. I know a way we can raise some money." And they say, "How, Doc?" And then like zoom in. <laughs> On on Doc, I know a guy. Cut to a used car lot on the outskirts of town. They pull up, and Doc comes out, and he goes like, "Anybody home?" Out from the main building walks Kurt Russell from Used Cars. <laughs> Emmett Brown, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm, 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 I mean, you know, you got my ticket. Boom. The Zemeckaverse. The Zemeckaverse is born. Um, yeah, no. So, so that was the 67 draft. And what happened was he finished the draft, sent it to Zemeckis. Bobby Z gave it a read over and he said, well, I like, (laughs) well, well, I like two thirds of this. But the problem with the 67 stuff is I feel like we're just doing 1955 again. Sure, which is which is definitely a fair point. Right. He's like, I feel like we're just doing the first movie again. And he says, and really, if we're going to do the first movie again, let's just do the first movie again. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Yeah. And so that's how the ni- 1955 Revisited was born. Mm-hmm. And then he also gave the note of, look, if we're only going to make one of these, I would like to do – I would love to shoot a Western. So let's go back to the Old West as well. Like let's let's have have, uh, uh, you know, Doc get – accidentally sent back to 1885 and then we'll 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 do that so he's like okay so he took all of his notes all all of bobby z's notes and then started implementing them into back to the future paradox um and yeah this is the one where uh all like both sequels are combined into one 114 page draft Mm mm-hmm 
And when he finished this the whole ver- bloody this affair version, as well. right? And when he finished this version, well, no, not the whole bloody affair because it's only 114 pages. It's not even a two-hour movie. Oh, weird! What happened? That well, that's what I'm saying. But oh. it's all combined into just one movie, right? So interesting. So, so he reads this draft, and he said, and and they both agree that Clara is introduced, you know, two thirds into late. the movie, mm-hmm. and they're just like, that's not, or like three quarters of the way into the movie, really. I'm sure, and, yeah, yeah, and they're just like this. We're introducing all of these brand new characters in 1885, and we don't get to live with them at all. Like, let's maybe we can like spread this out and let them breathe. And so like, he's like, why don't you just, I mean, just for the hell of it, write a draft as long as you want, <laughs> you know, let's stretch yeah. everything out. Like just write it as long as you want. He's like, all right. So he, he rewrites uh, the script up to the point where doc gets sent back in time. And it's, it's, you know, about 120 ish pages. And he's like, this is a whole movie. And then it ends on a cliffhanger. And meanwhile, they're trying to budget out this paradox script to figure out how much it's going to cost. And it's going to cost – it would cost them $60 million. Shit, Sid Sheinberg, who's been waiting to make this sequel now for three years, <laughs> yeah, is absolutely off his mind, like furious. Because he's like, I said I wanted to make a sequel to Back to the Future. I didn't say I want to make – Ready for this? This is an exact quote from Sid Sheinberg. He didn't say, I wanted to make the most expensive movie ever made. (laughs) Which in 1988 was $60 million. $60 Yeah. $60 million would have been the most expensive movie ever made. I I, I think that's like the budget for like... Like um, like American Ultra, no, that's not. Uh, it. No, 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 that's not. Uh, 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 I think Scott Pilgrim was sixty five million. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So it's like Scott Pilgrim budget, basically. Um. So anyway, so he's like, we we're not doing this. We're not doing this, right? So meanwhile, Bob Bobby G is working on stretching out these two drafts, right? And mm-hmm. he and he ends up with like a 240 page draft. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, we have this one thing. What if we shot all of this all at once and we rewrote the middle to make it a sort of nice, clean breaking off point, And then we shot two movies back to back. What would that price out as? So then secretly Zemeckis and Bobby G get someone on pricing that out figuring it out. And what they come up with is if you shot both of these movies back to back and made them two separate movies, the budgets for each movie would be $35 million, 70 million total. So they bring this back. They bring this back to Sid Sheinberg and they say, okay, we brought the movie with the budget. Bad news. Good news. Bad (laughs) news is the budget has now, went up another $10 million. It's $70 million. Good news is we've split it into two movies. So if you let us shoot 70 million, a $70 million movie, we will give you two movies in return. And then Sid Steinberg immediately signed off because he's like, you mean I waited four years for a sequel to back to the future and you're going to give me two sequels. 
Like, and, he, and he's like, yeah. And the best part is one's coming out in Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving 89. The next one is summer of 1990. And he's like, done. And he just starts signing checks. Oh, man. That history yeah. was made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And literally, history was made. Because, I mean, this yeah. practice would go on to be done in Pirates of the Caribbean. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. The Hibbit. The Hobbit. Yeah. The Hibbits. <laughs> meet uh, the Hibbits. Yeah, meet the Hibbits. Uh, I mean, every friggin' young adult prophecy movie. Yeah, it's true. Um, so yeah, so it was, it's, 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 it was, a. I think it's an interesting story of how this sequel was so like, it was just very, it was forced into existence by Sid Sheinberg and then just like evolved over time into two sequels. Yeah. And became this amazing trilogy. I like that the story of how it became two was based on story and like the, you know, the brain trust behind the series, you know? Yeah. Well, and a lot of it is just Zemeckis outsmarting Sid Sheinberg. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yeah. Sid Sheinberg, by the way, if you guys remember from the first movie, this was the guy who wanted Back to the Future to be called uh, the Spaceman from Pluto. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, just I, in, a, in a world where like, you know, Gary Ross leaves the Hunger Games, you know, because he doesn't want to, you know, he can't do it. He can't direct, you know, Mockingjay and Catching Fire back to back, let alone split Mockingjay in two. And, you know, you have like divergent directors like, you know, leaping out of buildings. You know, it, it, it it's cool to see this being driven by creative. Yeah. Know, by, by, by the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, this was this wasn't, you know, this you know, you know, to be frank, this did start as like money grabbing, but it became storytelling. Right. Totally. By way of money grabbing. <laughs> right, 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 right. But no, I just I like that they, you know, uh, the two bobs, I mean, they turned what they felt was a, a situation that they were backed into a corner in and and they made the best of it. Yeah, know? like this could have been but Hot really, Tub Time Machine too. Yeah. I mean, really it adds a lot of credibility to the movies when you know that it's like oh i mean you know the sequels aren't very good as you know you hear that a lot but it's Mm -hmm. just like it's like well i mean they're not as good as the first one because they're not coming from the same place like the the sequels are coming from a place of like what would be fun to make you know i might be i might be in the minority when i say this but it kind of reminds me of the pirates of the caribbean trilogy where yeah Oh, I, I I see where you're going with that. Like, you sure. know, those, you know, World's End and Dead Man's Chest are very flawed movies, but they, that is 100% Gore Verbinski on the screen. Right. And, you know, they're so weird and inventive and creative and yeah, like they're bloated, but like, you can't say that it's like, you know, the first movie over again. If anything, it could have done with some more of the first film. Yeah, for sure. Let's see Pirates of the Caribbean minutes again. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. <laughs> so uh that's all i got for the minute how are you doing scott yeah that's it that's it i mean i think we got a lot so yeah so um, uh, if you want to go to our website and talk about all of this that we've just learned this is all fascinating go to back to the future minute.com email us contact at back to the future minute.com we will read your email quote live on the air it'll be live when we do it and uh, you can tweet us at bttf minute for any thoughts or opinions or if you see anything cool back of the future related hang out with us on twitter you can also hang out with us on tumblr at bttfminute.tumblr.com if you want to share 
uh, you know, tiny Christopher Lloyd coming out of John Hurt, uh, Flower Child Lorraine, any of the wonderful images we've already conjured up in this, our first week of Volume 2 of the podcast. And as always, you can like us on Facebook, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, which is single-handedly the chuchest thing you can do for a podcast. And speaking of podcasts, we also host The Doctor's Companion with the immortal Cassandra Fredrickson. Immortal. Uh, yeah, she can't die. <laughs> we don't talk about it on the show that much, but it's true. Uh, where we review uh, old episodes, classic episodes of Doctor Who, and eventually new episodes of Doctor Who, when they choose to do that again. And... Um, our uh, our baby Scott and I had a child, and uh, we showed it uh, way too much Buffy and Gilmore Girls when it was a kid, and now it's uh, nineteen, and its name is Geek by Night. <laughs> I love I love that, <laughs> and it that has a very strong happy. sense of right and wrong. <laughs> that makes a good me kid. <laughs> and uh, that's available for download every other Wednesday. Uh, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. We're really proud of it. Um, it's not just me and Scott, which is why I can so easily say that I'm so proud of it because, you know, uh, the cast and the writers and then, you know, the music and just just there's just so much talent going into that podcast. And I'm, I'm so proud of everybody. So go and listen to it. If you love Back to the Future, you will love Geek by Night. Uh, I'm not going to say it's as good, but it's, you know, it's it, it comes from the same heart. It comes out of a love of, of things like Back to the Future. And yeah. um, as always, our uh, our pop pop. Uh, Star Wars Minute <laughs> Still slugging away um, Hopefully this is the part where um, Amidala and the Naboo guard Shoot up uh, From the uh, on grappling hooks uh, When they're oh, invading yeah, the- that'd be good. I always thought that was a cool moment um, They do it in unison it's- Yeah I know it, I, I remember as a kid being like that's pretty dope This is pretty boring that was cool. <laughs> I was like shut up Alright we'll be back tomorrow With uh, Minute 5 Bye. Bye, guys.